So as we come into the Word this morning, we're continuing our kind of methodical march through the book of Mark. Uh, this is our third uh, message from Mark. We started the first week with just kind of an intro. Uh, who wrote the book of Mark? How, how was it written? Why was it written? Some of those kinds of things. And last week, we started in chapter 1. We looked at the first 13 verses. And just a quick recap in case you weren't here. Uh, all of our messages are available online, elkinsalliance.com, if, if you ever need to catch up. Uh, but we looked at last week the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. And there was two characters that we really focused on, John the Baptist and Jesus himself. John the Baptist was the one that God sent before Jesus to proclaim, if you remember, make straight the paths before the Lord. He went proclaiming, the Messiah is coming behind me. And then Jesus shows up on the scene uh, and John baptizes him. Now, when John baptizes him, something very special, miraculous, has never happened since or before happens. What is it? Who remembers? Okay, the Holy Spirit comes. Somebody speaks. God speaks. What does God speak? Do you guys remember this? We're playing some catch-up here. What does God speak? This is my son or something. Absolutely. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. God speaks identity over Jesus. This is my son and I am pleased with him. Before Jesus has ever done a single public thing to earn it, God says, I want you to know this before it all starts. You are my son and I am pleased with you. And we talked about how that is the foundation for everything that we will see Jesus do. That he was the son of God, just as we are the children of God. And that God was pleased in him before he ever did a single thing, just as God is pleased with us. And that became Jesus' motivation. That became the thing that allowed Jesus, as we looked at, to withstand the temptation of the enemy. Was that he knew who he was and he knew who God was. And that carried him through and con will continue to carry him through everything that we will read. So now we pick up in verse 14. And we're going to start with four words. After John was arrested. Now think about this. John... He, he was the prophet sent in the spirit of Elijah, the scriptures say. The one declaring Jesus the Messiah is coming. We talked last week about the humility that John had. Probably the most famous religious person at the time. And yet he would talk and people would go, man, are you the one we should be following? And he would say, no, 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 no. One is coming that I'm not even worthy to untie the thongs of his sandals. He was incredibly humble if there's anyone God should bless, it's John, right? Yet, after John was arrested. We're going to talk a lot about the gospel today. And honestly, as we continue through Mark, what is the gospel? There's a couple false gospels. There's, there's a couple misleading gospels that are pretty common in our culture. One of which, that these four words destroy, is the prosperity gospel. It's this idea, you see it a lot on TV, televangelists, there's a lot of books written about it, that basically say, if you're good, God will make you healthy, wealthy, stable in life, everything good will come your way. God will bless you, and I'm putting quotes around it, because they say blessing means financial blessing, health. 
If anyone should have been blessed in those ways, if that was true of God, it was John the Baptist, yeah? Yet we see that John was arrested. John was arrested for speaking truth. John was arrested because he was proclaiming the Messiah. And you'll find, we'll, he, we'll read the story later, I think in Mark chapter 6, where we find out John was arrested because he told King Herod, it's not lawful for you to marry your brother's wife. That, this is the huge offense. He was standing up to say, God says what you're doing is wrong. And we see him arrested and, spoiler alert, beheaded. This doesn't seem very prosperity to me. How, okay, if not John the Baptist, then definitely Jesus, yeah? If anyone deserves to be blessed in that way, it should be Jesus, right? Again, let's skip to the end. How do things work out for Jesus? Crucifixion, mocking, torture. The prosperity gospel, this idea that if you are good, God will give you financial blessings and health and everything will go smooth and your kids will never stray. It, it's not real. It's not biblical. Because if it wasn't true for John the Baptist, what leg do any of us have to stand on, yeah? So let me just ask this question right here. It's not prosperity. It's not if you're good, God gives you everything good in this life. What is the gospel? I'm going to talk for a minute, and then I actually expect you to speak. So prepare yourselves. If, this, if we can't answer this question as the church, what are we doing? Yeah? This is one of the most confusing questions. I don't believe it should be, but it is. To ask a Christian, what is the gospel? So often you hear stuttering and you hear, well, I mean, it has something to do with this and something to do with that. We were told, proclaim the gospel and make disciples. That, that's what we are to be doing as a church, yet we struggle to answer this question sometimes. So this is what we're going to look at today. According to Jesus, what is the gospel? But first, I would love to hear from you. You can shout it out any age. It doesn't matter. You don't have to say the whole thing. You can say it has to do with this. It has to do with that. What is the gospel? The good news of the scripture. Jesus died for our sins. Okay. He died, was buried, and rose again. Okay. Okay, because of his death, burial, and resurrection, his death for our sins, we can have a relationship with God. Okay? Any other pieces to it? The promise of eternal life. Okay, the promise of eternal life. Kind of a big one. We become his children. Okay, we become his children. Uh, Paul in Romans 8 says that we're adopted into his family. Anything else? Yeah, that's right. Jesus took our sin at, on, at the cross, and it came on to him. He took our sin from us. Absolutely. What was it back there? Okay. Sin entered the world. Like, if you look at like, the whole gospel, 
God didn't create the world sinful. We chose sin. We chose that broken relationship. Okay? Anything else? The coming kingdom where all the wrongs will be righted. Okay? You see how it starts to get like, whoa, there's a lot of moving pieces here. And we can start sometimes to, to stumble on like, so what do, we, what do we focus on? Have you guys ever heard the idea of the elevator pitch? You, you got, what, like two minutes on an elevator with somebody. How would you tell them the good news of Jesus in that two minutes? What would the elevator pitch be? Because I'll be honest, sometimes I look at all of these different facets and I go, I couldn't cover that in two minutes. There's, there's so much to it. The gospel can be very difficult, but it should be very simple. Let's look at how Jesus proclaims the gospel. Uh, Mark chapter 1, verse 14 and 15. So after John was arrested, Jesus went to Galilee preaching the good news of God. Good news and gospel are the same exact word. He went preaching the gospel of God. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Repent and believe the gospel. So according to Jesus, what is the gospel? Not a trick question. It's okay. The kingdom of God has come near. Jesus sums up the gospel. The kingdom of God has come near. Now listen, did Jesus say, okay, here's the gospel. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. He, he couldn't say that. It hadn't happened yet, right? So does that mean Jesus, like there was no gospel yet? No. The gospel encapsulated is the kingdom has come near. So let's look at this real quick. Let's look at everything Jesus said. The time is fulfilled. He starts by saying that. The time is fulfilled. Time in Greek, there's two different words for time. I'm not going to get super deep into the Greek, but it's two different ways of thinking about time. One is chronos, which means a linear thinking of time. Right now, it is 1104. Soon it'll be 1204, then 104, 204, 304. It's Sunday. Tomorrow will be Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. September, October, November, this linear moving of time, chronos. Then there's this other word they use for it called kairos. Kairos refers to specific moments that change the course of time. It's event-driven. It's not this linear way that we think about it, but it's these, these events that change the course of a human life, or in Jesus' case, human history. And this is the word that Jesus used here. He says, the kairos is fulfilled. Everything God has done up to this point is now fulfilled. That word fulfilled means has come to a head. Everything is drawn together. Jesus said, talking to a Jewish audience, hey, the thousands of years of history that you've had to learn since you were a small child, everything the prophet said, every miracle that God has done, bringing the nation out of Egypt, establishing this nation of Israel, everything has all led to this moment. You see, in a Kairos moment, a decision has to be made. It's, it's a fork in the path. And we have to choose which way we're going to go. And Jesus says, you are at the kairos moment of kairos moments. Everything is about to change. Everything God has done through all of history was leading to this 
moment. Because the kingdom of God has come near. What Jesus is telling them, the time to experience the kingdom is right now. See, this is different from often how we present the gospel. And I don't necessarily mean we by like some of us sitting here, but we as just the Western church, we as the American church, what is the whole goal of the gospel when typically put out there? What do you think? Get out of hell. Get out of hell. The positive of that? Get into heaven. One day when you die, you will get to go to heaven. Think about the billboards that you see that people put up. I'm not convinced these do any good, but apparently some people are. You'll be driving by and you'll just see a sign that says, do you know what happens when you die? With Typically it has flames behind it and whatever, and then a phone number to call because those seem like super welcoming people. The focus of our typical American Western gospel is one day you're going to die and hell sounds pretty bad. Doesn't heaven sound better? Which then means when we tell them about Jesus, Jesus died on the cross for your sins, so one day you can go to heaven. This is the epitome of the gospel that some of us grew up with, that most of us have heard, that every time you turn on the TV and there's somebody with a Bible in their hands, most likely they're telling you this kind of gospel. Jesus died on the cross for your sins so that one day you can go to heaven. Jesus didn't say here, the time will be fulfilled. The kingdom of heaven will come near one day when you die. That was not his message. The time is fulfilled now. The kingdom of God is near. There, there's a book, if you guys are ever looking for something on this topic, it's an incredible book, really uh, easy to read, but deep thought, called Eternity is Now in Session. Uh, a lot of our leadership in the church has read it. And he really focuses on this whole idea of the whole point of the gospel is not one day when you die. But it's to change your life now. For the kingdom to come near now. For the kingdom to change your life, the lives of those around you, and your entire community now. This is the point of the gospel, and this was Jesus' gospel. The kingdom has come near the kingdom has come near because the king is near. And the kingdom is to be near to those around you today because the king is near through you. Amen. Does this make sense? You are to be the kingdom. That is the good news of the gospel, that the king has come near and now we can live in the kingdom today. The kingdom is not just some super mysterious thing that happens when you die and no one knows what it's going to... I hear there's streets of gold involved. and Jesus wasn't saying that. Jesus says the kingdom is on earth right now because the king is on earth right now. And for those of us who are following Jesus, the king is on earth right now through us. And the good news of the gospel is to change everything today not just waiting for that day. So often we have what, uh, these are my terms, and if they're not helpful, that's okay. Figure something else out. I call it the me-centered gospel. It's the gospel of forgiveness. And it sounds weird, like, whoa, 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 is he saying forgiveness is bad? Like, hear me out first. 
There's a me-centered gospel that we hear, and it says, Jesus died so that my sins could be forgiven, and he rose from the dead so that one day I could rise from the dead and go to heaven with him. Who is that gospel all about? Me. Jesus died to benefit me. Jesus died so that I can go somewhere better than hell when I die. And it's all about me. This is not, like, is there anything that I said up there that is incorrect? Did Jesus die for my sins? Yes. Did he rise from the dead and one day I will rise with him? Will I spend eternity in heaven with him forever? Yes. Yes. There is nothing wrong in it, but it's incomplete. This is a gospel that many have called cheap grace. Many have called easy believism. It costs you absolutely nothing. You don't have to do anything. Maybe just pray a prayer. Just sign this card. You come forward to an altar one time, and you're in. It's all good from there. You get your ticket to heaven, you put it in your back pocket, and you can just sit on it until the day you need to redeem it. This is how the gospel is so often proclaimed. It's not, nothing in there is wrong, but it's incomplete, and I would even say insufficient. But then there's the gospel of the kingdom, the gospel that Jesus preached, the gospel that Paul preached, that Peter preached, and it goes more like this. A, a way has been made for me to enter the kingdom and to join with the king on his mission to bring heaven to earth right now. This is a fuller understanding of the gospel. A way has been made. Jesus' death and resurrection has made a way for me to enter the kingdom. But entering the kingdom, there's a job to be done. The king is on a mission. And it's not just waiting for that day. The king is on a mission right now. And to be a part of the kingdom is to partner with the king of not waiting for heaven someday, but bringing heaven to earth right now. How did Jesus teach his disciples to pray? They came to him one day and they went, man, this whole prayer thing, Jesus, help us understand, would you teach us to pray? And Jesus teaches them, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus is giving them tips to the mission The whole point is not just go tell people the good news so that one day they can go to heaven. But right now, what Jesus was about on earth and what we're to be about is bringing heaven to earth right now. That God's will is done on earth exactly as it's done in heaven. This is not a waiting thing. This is an active participation. You see, so often we have people feel kind of bait and switched with the gospel. Because we tell them, hey, it's this free gift. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. Simply believe that. Maybe pray this prayer and you're set. And they go, oh, okay, that sounds good. Who wouldn't want that, right? So they pray the prayer and then we go, cool. So you need to read your Bible every day. You need to go to church. Do you have money? You need to give some of that. Do you have time? You need to do that. God's going to give you spiritual gifts. And if you don't use them, you're actually robbing the body, which is wrong. So you don't want to do that. And we start piling all this stuff on and people are going, whoa, 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 whoa. I signed up to get a free gift. What is all this other stuff? And so we have to do one of two things. Just apologize and go, sorry, you have to do it or else God's mad at you. Or we try to make the other stuff optional. As long as you've prayed that prayer, as long as you believe Jesus died on the cross for your sins, as long as you believe that that was a factual event, that's about as far as it has to go, 
That's enough. But any of the rest of this is optional. And typically what we say is, and if you do it, God will bless you for it. We add some of that prosperity gospel to it. It's a sneaky little thing. When instead the gospel that Jesus was preaching was the king is here. The kingdom of heaven is at hand today. And you are being invited to join with the king in his mission. He died on the cross to forgive your sins, to pave the way. Jesus' death on the cross was the beginning, not the end. So often we preach it as if it's the end. Just believe this and you're fine. His death on the cross made a way for us to enter into relationship with the king. To become citizens in the kingdom, sons and daughters in the king's family, but then to be on mission with the king. If you ever read through any of Jesus' parables, he starts most of them by saying, the kingdom of God is like. The kingdom of heaven is like. He uses those two interchangeably. Some people get confused on that. The kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, same exact thing. Okay, so don't, don't get confused on that if you read them differently. But every time he says the kingdom of heaven is like, he never says something that you buy now, keep in your wallet, and then later you turn in when it's useful. Every single one of them is about the world right now being different, being changed because of the kingdom. It's about his people working and serving the king in the kingdom. It's about communities being transformed in the kingdom. Honestly, sometimes I read the gospel and I don't realize, I, don't, I can't understand how I was tricked for so long into thinking, oh yeah, just believe that about Jesus and you're fine. Because it's not in here. It's certainly not in anything Jesus taught. The kingdom is now and the kingdom is active and it's not optional. This is one of the, the moves that we're trying to make as a church. And we spent a couple months talking about our church's vision and values and trying to break them all down. Our church's vision, the reason that we exist, is to see every person involved in kingdom life. Involved in kingdom life. Active participants with the king in the king's mission. It's not an optional thing. It's not bonus if you actually do some work with the king. It's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. To partner with the king and to advance the kingdom. One of our values is divine expectation and engagement. Not only looking forward to those kairos moments when God breaks in on human history. And listen, in a personal way, that can be sometimes just, I'm reading during my quiet time. And I have one of those moments where I have a choice to make. God's word comes so alive, and I have a choice. We're going to read here in a minute where Jesus said, the kingdom has come near, now repent and believe. We can have those moments personally. I can have those moments when I'm walking through Walmart, and I see someone in need, and God says, you do something about it. Show them what kingdom generosity looks like here on this earth, and I have a Kairos moment. Am I going to choose to partner with the king, or am I going to say, that's awkward and I'd rather not? Divine expectation and engagement, partnering with the king in his mission. It's not optional. So when, when Jesus was speaking to a Jewish audience, when he would talk about the kingdom, they had no concept of, okay, so one day when you die, go to heaven. 
everything they were looking forward to in the Messiah, in the King, was here on this earth. Now again, I think they were missing part because there is eternity after we die. There is heaven with Jesus. Again, I'm not trying to downplay that at all. I'm trying to raise them both up onto the same platform. What they would have seen was, they, they were thinking that the Messiah was coming as this conquering king to kick Rome out of Israel and to take over the world. That's what they would have heard with the kingdom is at hand. The kingdom has come near. And the thought for them to be a part of the kingdom, yet to say no to the king, yet to live just like you did before the king came, for the king to give a command and you to go, I'd rather not, was not even, like it wouldn't even register with them. That's, you could, that's called treason, and that's a death penalty in a kingdom. They would have understood that what Jesus was talking about was everything on this world is going to be different because the king is at hand. Everything in my life is going to be different because the kingdom of God has come near. Not just one day when I die. Is this making sense, church? Again, with masks, I need a little more head nods, something. Okay. So Jesus then gives them a command. He says, here's the good news. The kingdom of God has come near. Now repent and believe the good news. So repent. Repent of what? We, we oftentimes, we think of repentance as always a negative thing. Say you're sorry. Say this was sin and I need to go a different way. And most oftentimes that's how repentance is used in the scripture. But repentance was actually just kind of a common word that they used in the Greek that kind of got adopted and turned into a spiritual thing of repentance for, for sin, to turn away from sin. But literally it just means to change the attitude of your heart. It's talking about a course correction. I was heading this way, and now I repent, and I'm heading that way. Again, oftentimes it does mean repenting of sin, turning away from evil toward good. But when Jesus is using it here, he's not accusing them of anything. He's just saying, because the kingdom has come near, a major course correction is at hand. Repent. Change the attitude of your heart. Because they've gone from waiting to one day when the king comes, and we're kind of just killing time, trying to wait. Is, is this the king? Is that the king? He says, the kingdom is here. It's time for a major course correction. Repent and believe. So believe what? Not that Jesus died on the cross, because that hasn't happened yet. Believe that the king is here and that his way is right. Believe that what the king calls me to do is better than what I would figure out on my own. Jesus, again, spends the rest of his ministry telling them the kingdom of God is like, and then he tells them how it's different from how they would normally live. This is the vast majority of Jesus' earthly ministry, and he would do miracles to show that the kingdom has power, but all of his teachings were the kingdom of... You think life is like this, but the kingdom of God is like this. Repent and believe. Change from your old way of thinking because you need to believe that my way is better. That my way leads to life. Now, 2,000 years later, do we need to believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose again for our sins? Yes. yes. What does believe mean? 
That's a question we need to answer. Does believe mean understand factually this historical event happened one time? I mean, in some ways, yeah, you like that's kind of the very base level understanding, but we've kind of made it where that's enough. That's the bar. Cross that bar and you get to go to heaven one day. Believe means to put your faith in. To put your weight, the weight of your life on it. That the king's way is better than mine. That I have been called to partner with the king in advancing his kingdom. That his death on the cross paved the way for me to become not only a citizen in the kingdom, but a son in the kingdom. Here in a few minutes, we're going to come and we're going to remember communion. Not just that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, so therefore we can go to heaven one day and be fine. But that this is what paved the way for me to have relationship with the king, for my life to have purpose because I'm on mission with the king, and for my life to be transformed because that's what happens in the kingdom. This should be a powerful thing. You cannot... You cannot enter into the kingdom and remain the same. Far too many people who call themselves Christians, lives look exactly the same as they did before they were Christians. Maybe now there's some more church attendance involved. The kingdom is a transforming agent. It's what it does. And we are called to be transforming agents in our communities. Jesus' gospel was the kingdom of God has come near because the king has come near. How does your life look different because the king has come near? And the next question, how does your family, your neighborhood, your workplace, your school, your community look different because the king has come near through you? So let me ask this question here, church. And again, this is where I would love for you to speak. I am not the only one who can hear from God. I am not the only one who has something to say on the matter. How did what we know as the gospel change so much from Jesus' gospel? Because it seems pretty black and, black and white on the page, right? How did we get this kind of easy believism, just believe that Jesus died on the cross and you're fine, pray a prayer kind of gospel? How did we get there? What do you think? Sure. Yeah, it's pretty easy to remember how many people signed a card and put it in the basket. How many people came forward. That's an easy win to measure. Measuring transformed lives, a lot harder. So it kind of just became an easy box to check in a lot of ways. How else? How did we get from, from Jesus' gospel to ours? Do all the right, you know what I mean? So, like, can I, you know what I mean? So, it's like, now I gotta change? Like, well, I don't know. If I can believe this thing, I can pray this prayer, and I can try my hardest. Like, that's, you know what I mean? Sure. So, it takes it, it, it's like a, I think that maybe to even think about 
giving my individuality and my natural way of doing things over to somebody else, like a God that's outside of me. Sure. And like, eh, that's kind of harder sell for me personally, so I'll just believe this thing and then therefore maybe pass that on to others. Sure. Yeah, our individualism puts us at a little bit of a disadvantage at times. It's got its strengths as well, but it can have some drawbacks because the kingdom, by definition, is a communal thing. What I have to say if I'm going to come and be like a part of the kingdom is what I have to say is the kingdom is more valuable than I am. That my sacrifice is worth it because if it adds value to the kingdom, it's worth it. That is a tough thing for us. I, I mean, for anyone, but especially in our individual culture, what do I get out of this? And you can see how that, that me-centered gospel, we've changed it to go, man, you get everything and it costs you nothing. Who doesn't want that? But the gospel of the scripture is you get everything and it costs you everything. But you will be better for it. That's a harder gospel. It, it really is. How else? Any ideas? It helps put butts in seats in the church. Yeah. Yeah, there, again, I think it came from a good place. There's been a big move over the last century of seeker-sensitive and all this. And the whole idea is how do we make it as easy as possible for people to come into the kingdom, which, which is a great question to ask. But unfortunately, where a lot of people landed was Let's make the gospel easier to swallow. Let's make the gospel less costly because it puts more butts in seats. We get to check more boxes. It looks great. Anyone else? Maybe also like, we're so afraid to not have a full explanation or a full understanding. I just think about like growing up as little kids, like, well, here's the story, this is what it means, instead of like, here's what, you know, the life of Jesus on the pages of Mark, what do you, you know, like, let's talk about this. We're so afraid sure. that we can't explain everything, so let's just... Yeah. Well, yeah, there's... Thank you, Shirley. There, you Shirley said the mystery of the gospel. Here's the thing. You will find time and time again in the scriptures where they talk about the mystery of the gospel. Paul talks about it a number of times. We, especially as Americans, after the Age of Enlightenment and all that stuff, we hate mystery. Every mystery is just a problem that hasn't been solved yet. And so we look at the gospel, and there is some mysterious things. There is some hard-to-define, hard-to-understand things. There is some things that are hard to give in that elevator pitch. And so we get uncomfortable with that, and so we've just cut a lot of them out. We need to allow there to be mystery and to go, look, the king's way is better than yours, and it's better than mine and it's worth me giving my life for, you're invited to come along as well. The king has made a way for you. And there's going to be questions, and some of them are going to be, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what he's going to call you to. I don't know what it's going to look like, but I believe that the king's way is always better than mine. And my hope is that people see something in my life where they go, man, it seems like it costs a lot. I, there's a lot of uncertainty, but I want what he has the hope and joy that he has in the middle of uncertainty, the love and compassion, the generosity. I want what he has. Those kingdom traits that he has seem worth paying a price for. So even with uncertainty, I want that. Any other thoughts? It's a lot more comfortable. Sure, sure. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's a lot more comfortable to offer someone a free gift than to say, hey, this is going to cost you everything. Now, here's the thing. We're pushing, for some of you here, we're pushing against some, some touchy subjects for you because it sounds like we're telling you that grace isn't free. And in some ways, I am telling you that. Not that grace isn't free, but that salvation isn't free. And now, here's the problem. Here's, or here's the thing. And again, I'm asking us to walk a line with nuance. We kind of live in this polarizing society where it's all this or it's all that. Two different things can't both be true. But we find in the scripture that there's this middle line that we have to walk. Is salvation free? Yes. Are we also told that what it's going to cost you, Jesus says, take up your cross, die to yourself, and follow me. That sounds pretty costly, right? Can both be true? Yes. Because what is also true is these miraculous things, this mystery of the gospel, that through death I will find life. Life greater than any life I had before I died. That through submission I find victory. That through entering into the kingdom, by becoming a servant of the king, I actually find fulfillment and empowerment and grace like I've never seen before. These seem like they can't both be true, but they are. Grace is the freest and most costly gift you will ever receive. That's just how it is. So we're going to come to a time of communion. And before we, uh, the, the communion will be passed out and we'll kind of walk through how we're going to do that. But before we go through that, we're going to spend a minute doing exactly what Jesus said. I hope if you're in here now, I'm assuming that we acknowledge the kingdom of God has come near. The, the gospel that Jesus proclaimed. Now it's time for the action part. Repent and believe. So we're going to spend a few minutes just sitting in silence. And I know there's some younger kids in here. If there's a little bit of noise, that's okay. It's not going to throw any of us off. But we're going to spend a few minutes just asking God, God, are there course corrections that I need to make in my life? Maybe in the foundational pieces of, of what gospel it was I thought I accepted, do I need to make some changes? Maybe there's some, some attitudes of your heart that he is calling you to change. Maybe there's, maybe in the most traditional sense, there's some repentance that needs to happen. I have wronged someone else or I have wronged God this week and I need to come and ask for forgiveness. I need to repent of my sin and then believe. Lord, how are you calling me to believe differently? Not just in my head, but again, belief is faith in action. Are there areas where you're calling me to take steps and I've been saying no and it's time to repent and say yes. Before we come to the communion table, Paul, the Apostle Paul says that we're to examine our hearts, not to come in an unworthy manner. Unworthy doesn't mean we've sinned. Unworthy means we refuse to repent. So if you have any of those times, now is the time to allow the Lord to speak. If repentance is needed, repent. If he's calling you to make a course correction, agree with him that his way is better than yours. And then when we leave this place, walk it out. That is the beauty of communion. His death on the cross wasn't the end, but it's the beginning. It paves the way for us to partner with the king in the king's mission. So let's take just a few minutes and just ask the Lord, is there anything I need to repent of? Any, any course corrections that need to happen? And then I'll walk us through communion.